And howdy. Howdy. This, uh, yeah, this is uh, the last week before spring break. How you feeling? It's going to be so good. Uh, Quick survey. Who's going to the beach for spring break? Okay, a couple hands. Who's going skiing for spring break? Yes. Who's going home and sleeping and not waking up? Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, Love this season. Love. It is one more week, so you have one more week of fun before you uh, enter into a lot of rest. Um, Hey, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 14 this morning, so if you have a Bible, jump to Joshua chapter 14 or or an app. I'm going to read a little bit for us, pray for us one more time, and then we will jump in. And if we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and uh, so good to be with you here this morning. Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 1, says this. These are, the inherit- uh, these are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan. Now, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the households of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance. Just a little background for you to help you understand what's going on. Verse 6, jump to verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephueh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word against it, as was in my heart. But my brothers, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God with my heart. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. It's a 45-year waiting period. Okay, I'm still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses sent me out. My strength now is my strength was then for war and for, for going and for coming. So now, give me this hill country for which the Lord had spoke me on that day. For you heard it on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord is with me and I shall drive them out before just as the Lord had said. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much for a, uh, the, the story of a man, Caleb, who, who did not lose his passion and perseverance even though he encountered obstacles. Who even though he waited 45 years to, to, to receive what you were giving to him, he did not wane in his passion for you and your purposes in the world. And I know right now, at this point in the semester, there's many of us whose passion for engineering courses, whose passion for all sorts of things that you have put in front of us is waning. And Lord, there may be even some of us here today whose passion for you is really on the back burner of our lives at this moment. So Lord, I pray that as we open your word and we look at the life of Caleb, we might be people that rethink our faithfulness that we would be people that would 
be persevering in faith. Be men and women in the line of Caleb. We love you, and I lift up this morning to you that we could be men and women like that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, right after I got married, uh, my wife and I decided to go on a hiking trip. And so uh, we, we decided, uh, we're from Houston, we're from you know, that area, but I'd been to Colorado several times, and I wanted her to experience what it looked like to go hiking together. And so we loaded up our packs, and we drove the 15 plus hours to Pagosa Springs, Colorado to spend some time with my cousins there. And then I we get there, my cousin Brock uh, is preparing us to go hiking, and he looks at our packs, and he says, you have not packed correctly. And I'm like, well, Brock, that is why we're here. Help us out. And, and so he like unpacks everything and repacks all the pieces within our packs, and then he loads us up. And so the next morning, we get up early, and we head to the trail. Our plan is to spend three days on the trail, just me and my new bride, and I'm going to show her how much of a man I really am in this moment, right? And so we start the, the, the trail at the trailhead, and it is early May, and And little did I know that in early May in Colorado, it is still an opportunity for snow to be falling on the earth. I didn't know that. I am from Texas. I am from Houston originally. I did not expect there to be snow in May because it's already 300 degrees where I'm living, right? And so we get on the trailhead and we start going our way up. And at the beginning of the stretch, we're feeling excited, energized, like ready to attack this mountain, like just excited. We're like, baby, you know, taking selfies along the way, like, oh, baby, are we doing good? And so we're going all this hike and feeling good. And, and we get to a point where we're just using a topographical map to determine, you know, where we're going to go. And so the plan is to go up this uh, bank, to go over kind of this cliff area and then uh, hike down to a little valley and camp there for the evening. That's the plan. And then we get to a point, and I look at the map, and I look in front of me. And by this point in the journey, five miles in, it had started to snow. And not just a little bit of snow. As we had gotten higher, the snow was getting thicker, so much so that I can't even see the trail in front of me. And I'm looking at the map, and I look back at my new wife. And she's sitting there with snow just covering her, like shoulders, you know, hat, everything. And I said, babe, um, if I'm reading this correctly, I think what we need to do is scale this mountain, climb over it, scale back down to this valley and camp there. I mean, when I say scale, I'm like, we're going to have to rock climb up this thing. And I look back at her and I go, you ready? And she looks at me like I'm insane. Rightly so, for leading her into the precipice of death, right? Like, rightly so. She looks at me, and, I, and I'm, I'm exhausted five miles in. I mean, the 40-pound pack started light, and it got really heavy. And I'm standing there going, I think we're going to have to climb this. And, and I look at her, and I go, do you want to go back? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and so we, we make the long-defeated journey back. Along the way, she tripped over a rock tried to catch herself, the pack came forward, hit her in the head, sending her to the ground, falling, and then hitting her again, smushing her on the ground, to which I turned back and laughed. Um, (laughs) It was funny, but the whole scenario was funny. The whole scenario was ridiculous. The whole scenario simply revealed to us that we didn't have what one psychologist describes as this, the word grit. We didn't have it. 
Angela Duckworth, she's a psychologist, a psychology professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And she wrote a book a couple years ago called Grit, The Passion of Pursuit. And what she discovered as she's talking with college students is that, is that there's some characteristic that we all need. There's something that we need to help us persevere beyond the struggles that we're facing. And she came up with a word for it. In fact, she has a test for it. It's called the grit test. Because she wanted to see, like, do these students, do these people I'm helping educate, do they have the tools, the grit to overcome challenges, to overcome obstacles? And, and what she saw is over the generations, and she's not sure whether it's just life experience or maybe just newer generations struggling with it, is the grit quotient that the younger generations have is lower and lower, meaning there's a less and less stick to itness that we possess. And I think there's a reality to that because we've seen failure and it becomes difficult to persevere through the failure. I mean, how many of us haven't walked into our major when we thought we were going to be an engineer? Like, it was all of our hopes and dreams. And we were smart in our high school. Like, we considered ourselves really smart. And then we got into some of these engineering freshman classes, and they're like, do you know what these letters and numbers mean together? And you're like, there was a time, but I don't know what you're doing with them now, right? There's some of you that are going to go to that job this summer, that internship this summer that you've been wanting for, and you're going to get into that internship. You're going to have that moment. You're going to be there with your briefcase and like cool shirt going there and sitting there in front of those people answering those emails and doing those different things that finance people do. And you're going to be sitting there hoping that you'll love the finance world and realize quickly, this isn't what I thought. This wasn't as easy as I expected. This is harder than I expected. In dating, you're going to encounter the same thing. The first couple weeks of dating is electric. Because she knows me and I know her. And when I say, how about coffee? She says, let's go to go-go. And I'm like, let's go-go to go-go. You know, you just, it all fits together. Like there's this beautiful, you feel like, oh, we're, we're so together. And then week two, you have a disagreement and you realize, ah, maybe this isn't going the way that I thought. Maybe we're not the kindred spirits that I had imagined. Maybe this got a lot harder than I expected. And what Angela Duckworth has put her finger on is the principle that the Bible has put its finger on for a long, long time. There's something that you and I need in the Christian life, in all of life, but in particular in the Christian life. She calls it grit. The Bible calls it perseverance. Romans 5 says it this way. Romans 5.3 says this. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. We know that the sufferings we engage in are meant to produce something. They're meant to produce perseverance. Second Thessalonians uh, 1 says it this way. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. We know that there is a perseverance that's, that's being birthed in you, that's growing in you, and we're excited about it. We boast about it. Hebrews 12 one says this, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says this, 
Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and every sin that so entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us be people that persevere through the trial. See, the truth is we need perseverance within us. But the truth is this, it doesn't come naturally to us. It's something that we actually have to grow in, learn to grow in. And I want to give us a biblical character. A biblical character that really modeled what it looked like to live a life of perseverance, to overcome many obstacles. And the reason I picked Caleb is because Caleb is a lot like you and me. Caleb didn't have a rosy path forward. In fact, we see in the life of Caleb a man who struggled, a man who, who lost opportunity, A man who had to overcome many obstacles in life and faith in the same way that you and I do. And there's three barriers that I see that he encountered. And the first barrier that he faced is this, unmet expectations. Joshua 14, 7 says it this way. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. The first barrier that we see in the life of Caleb is this unmet expectations. Well, who was Caleb? Well, Caleb was part of the generation of people that Moses freed from slavery in Egypt. And there was a group of people that were, that were singled out. There was 12 spies that went into the promised land to, to look at the land to see if the nation of Israel could go and conquer this land. And those 12 men came back to give a report. Two of them came back with a positive report. That is what Caleb is referencing in Joshua chapter 14. He says, look, I came back and I said, hey, if God has given us this land... If God has given us this opportunity, I'm ready to tackle it. I'm ready to take it. But 10 of those spies came back with a negative report. And Joshua says, they made the heart of every other person melt. They were afraid to go. They were afraid to fight. They said, the, the Nephilim are there, which is a historic people that were wiped out in the flood that were considered to be giants and powerful. And they're like, yeah, I don't know what happened. Like they came back alive and they're there. Like, and they made literally the hearts of the people melt. And so Joshua and Caleb, who came back with a good report, are looking at all the people melt before them and all of their opportunities get wiped away. And Caleb at that moment said, I did what was in my heart, but my expectations were not met. You know what missed expectations are? Unmet expectations? There's a distance between where you are and where you hope to be. And any break along that journey is is what we would call unmet expectations. You had to merely come to A&M and meet your first roommate to embrace this reality. You had thought your brothers or sisters at home were the problem. You thought your brothers and sisters at home didn't understand you, didn't get you, that were selfish and pitiful. And, And that may be true. And then you got a roommate. God graciously gave you that guy or that girl 
For me, in college, uh, it was my roommate who liked to mix DJ music um, from the hours of 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. into his speakers, into his thing, and just dun, 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 all night. That wasn't what I expected, right? Like, I expected a guy to, to live life with, to be on the same schedule, to be different. And, and, and he was, and he was a great guy. We just didn't, we weren't compatible. It wasn't what I expected. And I'll tell you what, every time in life you will encounter a moment when your expectations do not meet your reality. You have hopes and dreams, and they don't, they don't materialize the way that you would really hope. I'll tell you this, even in the work world, Every year in ministry has been a new year where I had expectations of how things would go and rarely have those opportunities lined up. I remember my first year in marriage. My wife and I dated almost nine years by the time we got married. We started dating when she was 14. I was 16. Needless to say, I knew the girl. And by the time we got married, that first year was very difficult as we had many conflicts and unmet expectations. That distance between where you are and where you think you should be is unmet expectations. Caleb thought he was going into the promised land, but the people, decisions of others, stopped him from that opportunity. The first barrier you're going to face in life is this, your unmet expectations where you thought your degree would take you, where you thought your future would go, and the reality of where you are. The second barrier that he faces is this, waiting. Joshua 14.10 says it this way, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since that time that the Lord spoke the word of Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. Now let me just... When God said no, okay, if you're not going to be faithful, you're not going to believe in me, you're not going to go into the promised land at that moment of Kadesh Barnea, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait for that entire generation to die out. And so Caleb, Joshua, you guys are going to walk in circles in this little region of land for the next 45 years until that generation dies. So before you can do what's next, here's your opportunity, Caleb, you are going to walk in circles and watch all of your friends and families die. You're going to wait them out. That's the problem with your deal, when you're dealing with an eternal God, right? Like you have a timeline. <laughs> you know, like you're like, hey, by next week, I would really love this to happen. Or by next month, I would like this to happen. God says, yeah, I've got eternity on my side. Like I'm not worried about your timeline, And I'll tell you what, the next big barrier that you're going to face in life is waiting. And you're going to see it when you go home for spring break. Any juniors or seniors in the room? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're going to go home from spring break, for spring break. And some of you, you've already got the job lined up, the internship lined up. You've already got your path laid out before you. And you're just like, I'm just, man, I'm just coasting until graduation. I'm going to get that diploma. And then I'm going to go get that job and that car. And my future is so smooth. And there's others of us in different realities. Because that job, that future is not quite as crystal clear in your mind. Or your parents' minds for that matter. And that's where it's going to hit you. Because there's going to be one question that's levied at you every time you see extended family, parents, and it's this. What's the question? What do you do when you graduate? 
What's next? What's the opportunity? And, you're, and you wish, you wish that future was lined up, that future was secure. You knew everything that was coming in front of you. But for whatever reason, God in his sovereignty has caused you to do something different with this season. And it's called this, waiting. Does that mean God doesn't love you? No. Does that mean God doesn't have a future for you? No, he has a future for you. It just means he hasn't revealed it to you yet. And so in this period, this season, what you're dealing with, the barrier you've got to face is where you've just got to wait. For some of you, it's that future job. For some of you, it's, it's, it's dealing with your singleness. You're like, God, when? I'm a great guy. I'm a good catch. <laughs> and God in his sovereignty says, not today, big fella. And you're waiting. And I'll tell you, there's something that happens when we're waiting. It's that tension that builds. It's that frustration that we deal with. And the third barrier that, that Caleb faces this, being overlooked. In Numbers chapter 27, we see that instead of choosing Caleb to lead the people into the promised land, God chose Joshua. It says this in Numbers chapter 27. It says, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, the man in whom the spirit in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation and you shall commission him in their sight now wait a minute now Caleb was faithful Caleb had come back with a good report Caleb was a man who was, who had a different spirit he was a passionate man And yet when the opportunity arose to lead the people into this new place, Caleb didn't get the nod. Joshua did. Have you ever felt like you were the next one in line? You were the right one for the next opportunity. You had had prepared. You you had the qualities to lead this next thing or the, the skills to get this opportunity. And someone else got the nod, not you. See, Caleb had so many barriers to faithfulness. He had so many barriers to knock him off his path of perseverance. It was unmet expectations. It was this long season of waiting. And it was even after waiting to watch someone else get picked over him. J. Oswald Sanders describes this period as the middle mile. He says this, The hardest part of the journey is the middle mile, says one writer. There's enthusiasm of a new undertaking which buoys at the start. The thrill of reaching the goal at the finish. But it is the middle mile when you are a long way from the start and home is still distance that tests the mettle of the runner. On the middle mile of, a life's, of life's pilgrimage, the believer needs the most grace of patient continuance. The soul can summon unusual strength for great sorrows and extra power for mighty deeds better than it can muster the commonplace. The dangers of fierce battle are preferable to the humdrum of the trenches. These are the days when we fly. There are days when we fly and days when we run, but most days we walk. 
in that middle season, when the barriers are in front of you, J. Oswald Sanders calls that season of life the middle mile. And let me tell you, that is where you are at this point in the semester. You were so excited about your classes in January. You're like, oh, those other classes, these new classes, you know, like. And at this point in the semester, you're going, how excited am I about this new lab that I have to do? The 85th lab report. It's the middle mile. How excited am I about this season of life where you need to endure with faithfulness? Well, there's something that we can learn from Caleb that he has that we need in the season of life called the middle mile. And it's this, a persevering perspective. And there's three pieces that I want to give you to the persevering perspective that overcomes the three barriers. The first part is this, a God-sized vision to right-size your problems. Joshua says it this way, or it says it this way in Joshua 14. Now Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb is resting on the promises of God. He is resting on God's faithfulness, not what he can see in this moment, not his expectations of when this would play out. He says, I am trusting in God's faithfulness, and I'm going to wholly follow the Lord. I'm going to let God's vision of the future shape my current situation. And I'll tell you what, that is the piece that we most need. We need a God-sized vision for our future, not a me-sized vision. A God-sized vision not a me-sized vision. I would say one of the hardest things to do in my kid's life is this, to convince them that a no now doesn't mean a no forever. A no now doesn't mean a no forever. So my son comes up to me and says, Daddy, can I watch a TV show? No. And it's like World War III broke out. <laughs> what? No! It's just like this explosion. I'm just like, Lord God, smite this child. No, I'm just... <laughs> Because the no now just feels overwhelming. It feels like something I can't overcome. It feels too oppressive. And, and what I have to tell them is, look, you might get it later. You might not. But a no now doesn't mean no forever. You need a God-sized vision to right-size your problems. So that date you want, she's the only girl in the world. <sighs> no, she's not. This guy, I mean, if it doesn't work out with this guy, like, I just don't know. I mean, he's an Aggie. I mean, I don't know what I want. I don't know what else I want. (laughs) There's other men in the world. Some of those Aggies have already graduated. Some of those Aggies you haven't met yet. There's like 70,000 of them here. (laughs) That internship is not the only one. That major is not the only one. See, this perspective is what will shape your life and change you. If you have a God-sized vision for your future and you know that he controls all things, it can actually give you patience in the presence. And it's been helpful for me. Well, what's God's vision of the world? Well, God's doing this in the world. I encourage you coming in after spring break, we're going to talk about decision-making and the will of God. But I'll tell you, let me give you this piece. God's desire in the world is to make himself known to the world. And you can do that mission anywhere. 
But you can be an engineer and not fulfilling the, word, the Lord's will in the world. You can, be a, you can be married with kids and not be fulfilling God's mission in the world. You can be doing a lot of things in life, and you may have all of your boxes checked, but you may be missing the most important box to be checked, and that's knowing what God's vision in the world is. And when you know that, and when you embrace that, you can deal with the struggles of the present. He is working his will in the world, and my desire, my journey, is to align my life with his. The second piece that we give is this, persevering patience. Joshua 14.10 says it this way. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years. See his perspective? The Lord kept me alive just as, I, as he said these 45 years. Since the time that the Lord spoke to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, this day I'm 85 years young, baby. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength now is my, is my strength was then for war going out and coming. I am ready to go. I can persevere because I've been patient and I haven't been growing weaker. I haven't been growing bitter. I haven't been growing more and more upset about what God hasn't done in my life. I have used this time to grow passionate about the purposes of God and what he's doing in the world. Are you allowing that to come into your heart this semester? Are you growing more and more bitter about your major? Or are you allowing God to say, I have a future and a hope for you. Will you be faithful in the present? Will you have a persevering patience in what God has put right in front of you? Oswald Chambers in his classic devotion called My Utmost for His Highest that I would recommend to any of you says this. Perseverance means more than endurance, more than simply holding on until the end. A saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. But our Lord continues to stretch and strain. And every once in a while, the saint says, I can't take anymore. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight and then lets the arrow fly. Entrust yourself to God's hands. You can be patiently persevering through the struggle today because God has you in his hands. And he's aiming something further than you can see. So we can have a persevering patience in the presence, knowing that God is in control. And thirdly, lastly, I would tell you this. The last piece we need for a persevering perspective is personal acceptance. God has made you who you are, and he has not made you anyone else. He has made you to conquer certain mountains, not every mountain. He has given you certain opportunities, not every opportunity. He has got you in his hand, and he has a purpose for your life, but he hasn't given you their purpose or their purpose or his purpose or her purpose. He's given you his purpose, and we wrestle against that. We fight against that. We don't accept who God has made us. But Caleb had. He says this, verse 12. Now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there. He says, I heard there's giants. There's big people there. There's big challenges on this mountain. Joshua's mountain, that wasn't my mountain to take. What's my mountain? What has God laid for me? This one. So God, give me this mountain. I shall drive them out as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him. He said, dude, if you're going to take out these people, 
You go. This will change your life. When you know that God has a purpose for your life that is bigger than what you want for yourself. And when you align yourself, when you accept who you are and you fulfill his design and you don't constantly look for your own. I never played football in life. I know that's surprising to most of you. <laughs> I looked at my dad in junior high and, uh, and I said, Dad, did you ever play football? He says, I played one year in seventh grade. How'd it go? I broke my arm. Ah, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure that I want to go for that. He was 5'10". I looked at myself at the time, I was about 4'11", about 98 pounds. And I was like, and I saw another guy, he was also in seventh grade, uh, this guy named Patrick Beerswell. And at that time, he was benching about 305. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'm built for this, right? <laughs> and so that was an easy one. I said, okay, I'm not going to do that. I, I was built to run and do skinny things. I'll do those. I'll be better at that. Soccer, running, I'll be better there. Like, I can't lift stuff. Fine. Years later, um, all the cool Christians were learning guitar and, uh, and singing songs, right? And so I tried to give it a go. And, uh, and then I was already married at the time, so my wife lovingly said to me, um, you're not planning on singing, are you? And I said, fair enough. So I put the guitar down, and I'll pray for other people to lead us. Thank you, Tyler. I remember when I was in college, I, I, I so thought maybe I'll be good at business or finance or math or some of those things. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do those pieces and, and those, peop, those places didn't want me and I didn't really, really want them. And I was like, God, what am I going to do with my life? Like, what, how am I going to serve you? I thought I could do those different things, but math and I don't get along. Science and I are, are enemies. And so I'm so thankful for many of you here that are good at those things, that can make things that I could only dream of. And I remember... When I was in college, I was my freshman year of college, I was sitting in a row, like many of the rows you're sitting in, and, and the college pastor is speaking. I'm sitting in that row, and, and I just hear this, this nudge. I don't hear voices from God often, but every now and then I get a nudge. And the nudge was clear, like, you're going to do that. As a freshman in college, I wasn't even walking with the Lord. I was like, interesting, moving on. And four years later, uh, I was in a relationship with the director of college ministry, and, and he'd reached out, I'd reached out to him to, for some discipling, because I was thinking, like, ministry is in my future. And he goes, I'll disciple you. And that year and the year after that, I, I spoke to that college ministry. And some ten years later, I'm doing that here. Did I want that for my life when I was 18 years old looking for my future? I didn't know what I wanted. But let me tell you what. When you entrust your life to God's hands, his future is better than what you would want for yourself. And when you trust him, when you accept, this is how God's wired me. It gives you freedom and peace and not striving. The barriers become surmountable when I get a God-sized vision of the future. When I have a, a passion to pursue what he's asked me to do. And when I know this is who I am under him, I can endure the struggle. And the same is true for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that 
You call us to do unique things. You've given us unique skills, unique talents. And you've given those to us so that we could fulfill your God-given purpose, your design. And I know at this point in the semester, many of us can't wait for spring break to come quickly enough. We're ready to move to the next thing. But Lord, I pray that we could run the race you've carved out for us. That we could be faithful with what you've handed to us and trust you. That the barriers are true, but we could have a God-sized vision of our future. That we could trust you and have a persevering patience in life. And we could meet it with a personal acceptance. This is who I am under you. I trust your leading and I trust where you're heading. So let me align my life in yours and trust you. I lift up each student to you this morning. Guide us. Near me pray.